wisest man in the world brings a golden age to Israel, before the very same man becomes a fool of a king. On The Bible Brief. Pick up your Bible and read along with us today. Learning happens better with a Bible in your hand. It was a time of fulfillment. Everything was going right in Israel. The Promised Land was largely in control of the Israelites. The people had become a multitude. Israel had become a beacon of international trade. Crops abounded. Wealth abounded. But more than that, the beautiful temple had been completed. God had established His dwelling place among His people, and He'd filled the temple with the cloud of His glory. Just as he promised since the book of Deuteronomy, he had selected a place for his name to dwell, and that place was Jerusalem, the former threshing floor of Arunah the Jebusite, in that same group of hills where Abraham had come to sacrifice Isaac. He'd established his place on Mount Moriah, a place of holiness and a place of sacrifice. It was also a time of change, God's dwelling place changed from that mobile tabernacle that the Israelites had built in the wilderness to a permanent structure in the temple. The ark was no longer in a temporary tent, but it was now housed in God's chosen location. The nation had changed. Prior to David's reign, the tribes of Israel had disunified in their territories. They were a loose confederation rather than a united nation. But David, and even more so his son Solomon, changed that. They were now a unified people with orderly governance and wise leadership. The priesthood had changed. The priest Zadok was now the high priest over the temple sacrifices. His priestly line had replaced Eli's line, just as God had promised about a century prior. Upon Solomon rising to the throne, he had finally fulfilled God's judgment against Eli by appointing Zadok to be the high priest. Finally, there was a change from David to David's son, signaling a possible fulfillment of that great covenant that God had granted to David. God had said that one of his descendants would be the forever eternal righteous king over Israel. And in a lot of ways, Solomon seemed to fit the bill. He was the temple builder, and he led the nation to greater material prosperity than they had ever known. With Solomon's rise, blessing abounded within Israel and surely it was hard to see how things might get better than they had already become. Under this wise king, the nation had become not just a little struggling people group among the many. They had become a formidable force in the Near East. Israel was not only in a golden age figuratively, they were even awash with the fine metal itself. Solomon's revenue, established through trade and taxation, was 25 tons of gold annually. That's around $1.5 billion per year at today's price. Solomon had led Israel to become the trading route through which goods flowed around the Mediterranean and Arabian seas. Further, people would travel from far and wide to see Solomon's achievement and his great wisdom. On one occasion, a queen from a place called Sheba, likely in modern Ethiopia, 
brought about $250 million worth of gold to Solomon as she sought his wisdom. And by the end of the visit, she said this to Solomon, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, half the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. You surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your wives. Happy are these your servants, who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on his throne as king for the Lord your God. Because your God loved Israel and would establish them forever, he has made you king over them, that you may execute justice and righteousness. The world was discovering the amazing blessedness of Israel. They were seeing the wisdom of Solomon, and they were exclaiming the great provision that Yahweh had given his people. The problem was if. If. A word of condition. A word upon which the future of the nation would depend. If. God said this to Solomon after the temple was completed in 1 Kings chapter 9. As for you, Solomon, if you will walk before me, as David your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them, and the house that I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples, and this house will become a heap of ruins. God had communicated his big ifs to Solomon, a promise of blessing and establishment of his kingdom, but a warning against turning away, lest the nation be cast out of Canaan. God was giving Solomon a more concentrated version of the blessings and curses that Moses had spoken to the nation before they'd entered the land over 400 years before. If they would obey, it would mean blessings in the land. But if they disobeyed, it would mean curses away from the land. If. Now God had given rules for kings back in Deuteronomy chapter 17. And those rules essentially had four requirements for the king. One, he must not expand his cavalry, especially with Egyptian horses. Two, he must not have many wives, women who might turn his heart away from Yahweh to serve other gods. Three, he must not excessively enrich himself with silver or gold. And four, he shall write a copy of the law, meditate on it, and obey Yahweh. These four essential rules were to ensure that the king was rightly governing the nation. The king was promised that his children would be on his throne if he obeyed these rules. These were known to Solomon, and surely his father David had taught him as well. Yahweh would be pleased with Solomon's rule if he stayed inside the boundaries. Yet prosperity tends to have a way of weakening resolve, of strengthening pride, and of questioning authority. Prosperity comes to ruin Solomon. 
In 1 Kings chapter 10, we see the signs. He collects so much gold for himself that he has nothing better to do with it than to make 300 shields for his house. He only drank from gold cups, and his whole house was filled only with gold vessels. His opulent wealth broke one of the four rules. He must not excessively enrich himself with silver or gold. Further, he gathered to himself many chariots and horses, 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, a gigantic cavalry similar to what the Canaanites had brought against Israel before falling to Yahweh in battle. Many of these horses were from Egypt as well, as the Egyptian horse trade had flourished in this time. In this, he broke another of the four rules. He must not expand his cavalry, especially with Egyptian horses. But perhaps the kicker was the wives of Solomon, wives that caused his heart to turn away from Yahweh. We read this in 1 Kings chapter 11. Now Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these women in love. He had seven hundred wives who were princesses, and three hundred concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to Yahweh his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives, who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. As Solomon aged in his prosperity, he collected women from across the region. You have to wonder if he could even remember the names of his 700 wives and 300 concubines. A gross collection of wives, made grosser by their effect on Solomon. They turned his heart away from Yahweh, and he worshipped their gods. He even built high places around Jerusalem where his wives could sacrifice to their false gods. Obviously in this, he'd broken another of the four rules. He must not have many wives, women who might turn his heart away from Yahweh to serve other gods. Solomon had clearly broken three of the four rules for kings. He excessively enriched himself, he expanded his cavalry, and he took many wives. But the fourth rule was perhaps the most consequential, because it was this rule that if followed would have solved all his other problems. The fourth rule was that he should write a copy of the law, meditate on it, and obey Yahweh. This was his great sin. He forgot the commandments of God for lack of thinking about them and lack of obeying them. Instead of meditating on the scriptures and chewing on them in his mind, 
His prosperity caused his great forgetting. The wisest man on earth became a fool to be pitied. What are riches without Yahweh's blessing? What are wives without the love of Yahweh? What are chariots when it's Yahweh who gives victory? We could be wiser than Solomon if we learn from his great folly. Being away from the scriptures, away from remembering God, and forgetful of God's commands can cause great and foolish sins in our lives. Sins that will echo for generations to come. The Bible is not merely a place to learn, but it's life to the spirit and wisdom to the mind. As the wisest man once said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Solomon had forgotten what God had done for Israel in the past, and Solomon's forgetting would spell his kingdom's downfall. Soon, God would raise up adversaries against him, first from here, then from there, but finally, the ultimate adversary would arise from within Israel, a man who would first be exiled before returning to split the nation. Join us next time as the golden age loses its luster before the kingdom splits in two. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023